This message by Sam Shin, entitled 20 Years Together, was recorded at Wellspring Church on April 7, 2019. The text for this message is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 42 through 47 together. Hear now the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So far, the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Good morning. So as uh, you have heard and watched, we have been together um, for 20 years as a church. And, uh, you know, it's been so much joy to be together. Uh, I don't think you can underestimate what it takes for a church to actually be able to withstand the test of time over those years. In fact, many churches do not make it past even the five to ten year mark. Definitely the ten year mark, but really even five years. So um, it is a rich blessing to be together in Christ. You know, one thing I've learned over these years is that there are many different types of people. And within that framework, there is one characteristic that stands above everything else. I mean, you have people who are loving, gracious, kind, merciful, passionate, organized, and the list is endless of characteristics. But there is one that I would say when I think about um, what I would love for myself and for every church member to have is the biblical characteristic of faithfulness. Faithfulness is not something that you see in a day or in a week or a year, sometimes even a decade. Faithfulness is seen over the test of time. And like any family, it goes through all sorts of burdens and trials and joys and sorrows and grievings together. But what pierces through all of that is faithfulness, that no matter what, we stick it through. And 20 years, you really do get a sense of that because there's been enough time to say, wow, we've been faithful together, ultimately faithful to the Lord because he's been faithful to us. And so I, I do want to begin this message by doing a little bit of an exercise, a physical exercise, you might say. So just, just to give you a visual picture of what life together has been like, I would like to ask... Everyone who was part of Wellspring in our years in Pleasanton, would you do me a favor and stand up? If you were at church in Pleasanton as part of Wellspring, stand up. First of all, thank you all so much for being with us at Foothill High School. You know, you remember, I remember a few people, I remember Jay Chang actually uh, packing that closet over and over, you know, 
Um, I remember the band on our first Sunday, we had worked so hard to set up worship and the whole system died. And we were thinking, what is going on? And so many of you joined us in that place. So thank you for serving us there. So for those of you, um, if you were not at Creekside, you may sit down in San Leandro. If you are not with us at Creekside in San Leandro, you may sit down. San Leandro Community Church, um, Creekside Community Church in San Leandro. Those were really special years for us. It was an important time. It was a time where we began essentially solidifying ourselves in ministry. And all of you are standing. You are a part of that. And uh, I'm so thankful for you. You, you, you. you know, it was very convenient, too. On the one hand, we had a great building. And you were probably thinking, and we met at 1.30 p.m. That wasn't easy. And I think you can all appreciate that. So coming uh, to Foothill, we could meet at in the morning. So thank you for being with us. So. If you are not in San Lorenzo at Redwood Christian School, if you wouldn't mind sitting down. If you are not there, if you wouldn't mind sitting down. That was in, um, I think it was in 2003, two earlier week. So if you remember Redwood Christian School, ah, there are very few people standing here. Yes, John and Blenda on behalf of John and Blenda. But there was, there was a trailer outside. And we used to have to pack that trailer in and out. And one time it flooded. And so it was all damaged, our equipment. Um, it, was, it was a challenging time. It, really, those were the years that I just wondered, is this church going to make it or not? And by God's grace, it did. Now, Sam Pack and I, we led worship. Sam led worship today, and he led worship back then. <laughs> that says a lot. I don't think any of us can underestimate that. And I remember during those times, Sam and I, we grew together as brothers in Christ, as we all did. I remember Chuck and Son coming in. I remember it was Chuck's son, uh, James and Tina, I think, were there, and Jimmy and Julie, sort of all coming at the same time. So thank you all for serving us. So all the different people, Kevin, Michelle, wow, what an amazing thing. All right, if you were not at Walnut Creek, Please remain, uh, remain standing for those of you who are only at Walnut Creek. Walnut Creek. It was. You were there, Jennifer. You were. Yeah. So it was Justin Sua, who was pregnant with our first child, Ben and Jennifer. And, um, wow, those were, those were the years that you think, how is this ever going to work? <laughs> I mean, with, and Justin and one other person were one of the two people in the congregation. You know, and the rest, I had this old picture, I couldn't find it, but the rest of the band, there was four of us, Dave Lee, who you saw, who was pastoring a church in Fremont, he did play the bass. And, um, you know, Justin was with us, with me, when he was a college student, I was a college pastor in uh, Amherst. And so I remember when I met with Justin, we moved to the Bay Area, when Sue and I did, um, and I met with Justin, and, he's, and I said, hey, Justin, we're going to be planting in Walnut Creek. What do you think? And he said, no one's going to come. Because <laughs> that is the boonies. And back then, no one lived in Walnut Creek, San Ramon. This whole East Bay area was barren, except for farmlands. And Jennifer and Ben, I had the, they were the, I think they were the first wedding that I officiated. 
and I wore a black robe. <laughs> I was, I mean, it was a very interesting wedding, and um, I had no idea what I was doing. They were gracious. Justin was gracious. See, everyone who was around in those really early years were really great. You guys are gracious now, but they were really gracious. Thank you all for being with us. You may be seated. Oh, by the way, one last thing is my wife, you know, she was with me for all the way through. And uh, I don't, I don't it, it says a lot for all of you to be with me during this time. It says even more for my wife to live with me during this time. So it, it really is a reminder of God's grace and mercy. I had you do that, and I, this video was intended, and by the way, I did not pay any of those men to say anything about me. It was not, I just said, give words of blessing to Wellspring. And we could have taken a bunch of pictures of way back when, I have them all on my computer, but it wouldn't make sense to any of you, because most of you don't know who those people are. But what I'd rather have you see is, who are we? I mean, that, to me, when I watched that video and, and when I started receiving the um, videos back from these pastors and different people, it just struck me as to why God would use nothing. Like, who am I? Who, who are we that he would use us for his purposes and his glory? I, I just got a sense of what David constantly says in the Psalms. Who am I, O Lord? You know, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Your glory is set above the heavens. The moon and all the stars. What is man that you are mindful of me? And I, I just ask that question before God and say, Lord, how, why would you use someone like us? Someone like me? And the answer is that he wants his glory, his renown, his name to be known. And it has been an incredible 20 years. It hasn't been easy. There have been many sorrows, many grievings, but also many joys and many delights. And all of you have been a part of that. And especially as we prepare to move into a final home, it's important to remember where we've come from. And it's also important to remember how we got there. And so what I thought I would do is just give you a, a, a quick sort of journey through the book of Acts and to get the idea of what it took for the New Testament church to begin and how in many ways that we are a byproduct, a reflection of what that early journey was like together. And so first and foremost, I want to look at um, Acts 2, chapter 2, verses 32 to 33, and then 37 through 38, because in it, we see a little bit about how this church began. Remember and recall that 120 people were in the upper room waiting because Jesus had ascended and they didn't know exactly what was going to happen. And the Holy Spirit comes and he anoints them on Pentecost. And after that, Peter, who was, as we can recall, had denied Jesus three times and was a quite of a nervous wreck and fearful. And after the Holy Spirit's anointing, he preaches this sermon. And then as a result of the gospel being proclaimed, something happens. He says in verse 32, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all, all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. 
And then verse 37 to 38. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they were responsive to the work of Christ, to the message of the gospel. And the response was that they were cut to the heart. And that phrase, it's quite vivid. I mean, it, it really should give you an idea of what takes place when someone hears the gospel and recognizes by the Holy Spirit that things have to change. The direction that they were going, they have to go in an opposite direction. According to verse 41, 3,000 people were cut to the heart. And so from in one moment's time, the church expanded over 3,000% essentially. And so now we're at this place where people of different languages, traditions, cultures, tastes for food, all of that suddenly changes in an instantaneous moment. And people have to wrestle with, how do we become the church? How do we actually get to a place where this doesn't just simply be a nice experience and then we just go our own happy, merry way? The answer is that the only way they could move on and progress and move forward in building this church was that they, ha they had to regularly go back to why they were a church in the first place, that they were cut to the heart. They had to remember it. They had to remember that it was the gospel that transforms and changes. It's not a new word. It's not the gospel and then let's go to everything else that we believe and know. But it's Jesus died on the cross. He gave his life for me. He substituted himself. Through that cost, he brings us into his family as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters of the living God. And so with that new identity, we move forward in freedom, in joy, no matter the circumstances. And we trust that every day that we live. And if you follow the book of Acts, you see this happening time and time again. Paul continuously goes back to what saved him in the first place. He tells his testimony to Felix, to Festus. Time and time again, he tells his testimony because he wants them to remember it is the work of Jesus that actually is to be exalted and praised and remembered. It's not how smart he is or what he's done for Jesus. It's who Jesus is. And in the same way, that has to be what constantly and continuously forever until we, the Lord comes again is what defines us as a body of Christ, as members, as a church. It isn't going to be a program or which ministry succeeds and prospers or a marketing campaign or the church building. If we go down that road, then there will need, there will be no 20 more years. Or if there is 20 more years, it will be something that the Lord detests and does not delight in. He doesn't really care about the number of people or the programs that we have or how successful they are. What he cares most about is, are we faithfully still abiding by the idea that we are solely here because Jesus, his blood that paid the price is the means by which we do anything in this place. 
And be careful and be forewarned, for all of us will be tempted to think, even though, yes, it's Jesus, but it's Jesus and my good works. I want to tell you a story of uh, uh, Brian Chappell, who's the, um, he was formerly president of Covenant Theological Seminary. He was also a pastor and he was preaching at a funeral. And the funeral was for a woman named Maudette. She was a widow who had come to his church in the evening because his church had evening services. So she didn't come to the morning worships, only the evening. And the reason is because she was already at a church, but this church that was where the pastor was preaching had sort of drifted away from preaching the gospel faithfully. And so the church, while doing a lot of good works, was not preaching scripture, was not preaching the Bible. And so she sort of decided to come to Brian Chapel's church because she actually wanted to hear the word preached, but still felt as though she didn't want to abandon the church that she had been at for most of her life. She eventually died, and at her funeral, she asked that both pastors would be able to preach a short message. The first pastor, the pastor of her, uh, the church that she had gone to for her whole life, he shared about how faithful she was at in Sunday school when she was young as a child. He shared how she was such a sweet and kind person. He also shared that she had a really beautiful garden, and every Sunday she would bring flowers from her garden and put it on the front of the, the altar, you might say, and sort of the front of the church. And he shared how that was such a, a great act of service for the church. When Brian Chapel spoke, he preached from Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. And he talked about the conversation that he had with Maudette before she died. And he said that what she appreciated, what she expressed that she appreciated most in her life was that her Savior's unconditional grace kept her lovingly decorating that church with flowers as a response to her heart of joy for what Jesus had done. You see, the difference between the two is one saw the act and praised the act in and of itself as something that is good and moral and nice and kind and just. The other saw the heart that responded to what Jesus had done for her. And out of that response of overflowing joy, she wanted to take all of this, these flowers that she was working so hard to raise in her beautiful garden, and she planted them in the church to say, Jesus, this is just a small expression of my thanks and love for what you have already done for me. What Brian Chapel was saying is that she wanted people to understand that Her flowers was not a bribe to Jesus. Her hope was not in her flowers, but in in the Savior. And you see, it's a subtle difference, but it's an important difference. It's a critical difference. The acts can look exactly the same, but the heart that flows out of response versus, I need you to love me, Lord, and this is what I'm going to give for you. Very different heart. The heart that is cut is the one that understands transformation. I had the opportunity to uh, visit with J- Jason Stephanie. And um, you know, many of you know he had heart surgery just recently, only a couple of weeks ago. And he showed me a scar. It's a pretty big scar. And that scar will be a physical reminder. It will be and is a physical reminder to him always of the fact that he had a heart defect. 
And it always shows him what he needs to do and what it took to save him. Well, my friends, we have a spiritual scar. If you are in Christ, you have a spiritual scar that is revealed to you all the time. But it's not physically on your heart. It's on Jesus' hands. And until you see that, that is what defines you. It, it's what motivates you. It's what drives you. It's what calls you to be faithful to a church when it's not so great. <laughs> or when things aren't going so well. Or when on Sunday you're not, you're tired or on a discipleship meeting you're worn and you just don't feel like going. You don't do it because, well, Jesus expects you to do it. Or because that's how you show that you're really a good Christian. You do it because you look at the scar. And you remember what he's done for you. And you say, this is why I do this. This is why I clean up chairs. It's why I set up communion. Play for 20 years on the band. You know, when we get that, and when we get that together, what happens is not only are we cut to the heart together, but we experience community together. That's where we are in chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. This passage of Scripture has in some way inspired me and at the same time always haunted me. Because I always look at this and I say, wow, this is incredible. If we could only have this. And then at the same time I think, why don't we have this? Why does our church, we know we should look like this. We believe we should look like this. Do we look like this? What are we doing or what are we not doing that is causing us to not look like this? And I will say this is that I give you the first part of chapter two because the problem is that so many people look at verses 42 to 47 in isolation. We see, okay, community is like this. Let's just model ourselves like this and it'll be great. But you cannot forget that it's in the context of chapter two, a sermon preached about people being cut to the heart by the gospel of Christ. And really, when we do not have this community, the first question always goes back to, are we cut to the heart? Do we understand what that means? Or if we are cut to the heart, have we forgotten to look at the scar and to remember what Jesus did for us? And that cause is the impetus upon which we move forward to say, let's have this community. You know, we sad to say this culture that we live in is lonelier than ever before. I just read an article this morning about this idea. Gospel Coalition has a really great article. This one writer just wrote, wrote about the loneliness of community just very recently. UCLA just recently did a study over 20,000 people on the concept of loneliness. And what they found was that people Students between and young people between the ages of 18 through 22 are lonelier today at a much more astonishingly higher rate than people 72 years old and older. Actually, it's supposed to be that people who are in nursing homes, and if you go to a nursing home, it's a pretty lonely place. Could you imagine that college students are lonelier than that group of people? Why is that the case? I think many of you understand why. In an era where it used to cost, when I was in college, when my wife was in college, if you were to try to call home, so she lived 
in Toronto was her home, and she went to school in Massachusetts. And she had to use calling cards and sometimes collect. Sometimes those bill would, bills would run into the thousands. I think many of you know that. Well, today we have all sorts of instant messaging, I mean, FaceTime, um, free phone calls, free video calls. Why is it that we are less connected than ever before, even though we're more connected than ever before? Because we rely on something that was never intended to provide community to actually provide community. Statistically, 77% of the United States has some sort of social network profile online. And a 2018 study in the Journal of Social and Clinical Psychology showed that there is a causal link between social media and increased loneliness and depression. And anyone who has depended on social media for community, you know this to be true. And anyone who has friends who are... Friends don't let friends be on social media that much, really. Because true friendship is never based on the web. This is our modern-day problem, but it is impacting the church today as well. Hone Cho is an elder at Grace Community Church, um, John MacArthur's church. It's a, you know, it's a pretty large church. If you've ever been there, it's over 5,000 members. This is what he asks, one of the most important questions that he asks. And yet, as an elder in a relatively large church with approximately 5,000 members and many more regular attenders, Concerns like these are the ones that really tie up my stomach into knots and drive me to my knees in prayer. How many of our members struggle with loneliness and alienation? How many people slip through the cracks and depart feeling uncared for and unloved? If we're honest with ourselves, every church leadership wrestles with this one question. And if they don't, then that's a problem on the church's leadership. We, as a church leadership, as the leaders of this church, just like the church leaders of Grace Community Church and so many others, we have to be troubled by the fact that there is a single person who comes into this church and walks away lonely. And if we are not wrestling with that, then we're not doing what God has called us to do, provide care and oversight for the church. On behalf of our leadership, I do want to say this. I want to apologize to anyone here who walks away from our church. If you're a newcomer, if you've been here for six months, three weeks, one year, and you felt disconnected, on behalf of our leadership, I want to apologize to you and say, we want to do better. And part of that is to recognize this neon sign that is blinking called Acts 2, 42 to 47. And in it, I want to explore together six togethers and, and see that and ask the question, are we doing this? And when I look at this text again, and I've preached on this text before, but when I look at it again, I don't see us doing it well enough. And so there will be um, sort of an application as to how we can do this. It won't be in order of the text, but I want to describe them to you. First is meet together meet together. And they devoted themselves to the fellowship. By the way, if you look at chapter 2, verse 42, that verb, they devoted themselves, it's a verb that is actually meant to describe all the different elements of what is to come. 
the word devoted themselves has the idea of persistence, not giving up, regularity, making sure that this is a, a regular ongoing occurrence of life together. And it might sound logical to you that you cannot build community without regularly meeting. But again, in our day and age where social media and online community seems sufficient, the reality is it will never be sufficient. There is something about two people, a community, a group of people coming together face to face and spending time together. And there are no shortcuts around it. I've tried, we've tried having different um, meetings online through Skype and all sorts of things. And while it has its benefits, it's better than nothing, but it is nowhere near being together and seeing facial expressions and being in the context of being able to on go, have just this, not just the regular meetings, but also those conversations that happen on the side. There are two sides to meeting together. And as I was saying, as a church, we need to grow in this. We need to be better at this. But there are two sides to this coin. The first is that as a church, we need to provide better means for this to take place. And while discipleship groups has its place, and they really do, we will not give them up. But I do think our gospel communities definitely can grow and might need to undergo changes. So that's a discussion we will have with our gospel community leaders and our discipleship group leaders. But there needs to be structural biblical change because we want to grow. We want to transform. We want to be a transformative body. But it will require us to experience community together. So recognize that we see the disconnectedness of community. And we as a church need to grow. But may I also challenge you to grow on your side. Frank Mock is a crew, campus, formerly Campus Crusade for Christ worker. He works with college students. And college students, that's one group of commu- uh, section of the body of Christ where you would think they're all about community. They live together. They love hanging out. But this is what he noticed about um, writing an article called The Importance of Showing Up. And he says this, Community is work. It is no different from the physical training and nutrition required to change your body. It takes time to build, and yet it never ceases to surprise me how people consistently fail to live up to their stated value of community by not showing up consistently to church, to ministries, to meetings, The act of showing up is critical to everything important in life. And for those who claim a religious affiliation, regular church attendance is the bedrock of Christian community. It is 80% of the struggle for community. So I want to say this. As a church leadership, as a church, we want to provide structures, biblical uh, pictures of community. But there's two sides to this coin. On one side is the church can do better. On the other side is you must do better. It can't be, I want community, I feel like this church doesn't provide community, and yet there's no showing up. There's no proactive nature of saying, I'm going to find it. I'm going to build it. I'm going to be a part of building community. And here's why, because of what Christ has done for me, I'm going to reach out and do this. We're going to do this together. By not showing up, what you're really doing is you're saying, I want you to do all the work for me. And I want you to make sure that everything happens for me. 
You see, that's no different than the social media mindset. It's to get to the surface level of being a part of a body without actually having any of the commitment and belonging of being part of the body. And so it requires all of us to be in this together and to say, we're in this, we're going to work to this. It means showing up to meetings and to events and to discipleship groups and to serve. I'm so thankful for the 20 years of service together with so many of you. And I can't tell you how often community has been built also through service, through people ministering, and sometimes through the conflict of serving. It hasn't been easy. But how so often, uh, I remember George Sneeman when he was here and we were driving up uh, to, and I think I shared this before, and some of the guys were putting up signs on the outside. And that's never fun, never easy. For those of you who do it, you know. And he said to me, he said, look at those guys over there. Do you notice what you're going to miss by having your own building? I said, you mean doing hard work? <laughs> I, I don't, I think I, I don't mind missing that actually. And he said, no, those guys are putting up those signs, but look at what they're doing. They're talking together. They're caring for one another. They're, they're getting into each other's lives. And you won't have that anymore. So you need to find something that is going to replace that. It has to be in gospel communities. But gospel communities have to be more than just simply event-driven. It has to be, what I see as these togethers, it has to have the components of the six togethers that we see, outflows of the gospel being proclaimed and preached. So, we can't just simply say, here's what we're doing, and do, and just leave it at that. Hopefully you respond as well. So it requires both. It requires the church and it requires the people to come together. Secondly is, we have to read together. What do we read? The apostles' teaching. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I think what struck me on this trip, this past trip that Thomas, Dan, and I went to Zimbabwe, and when we were meeting with the Hands community, before we were, the co uh, care workers came together, the Hands staff, and the three of us, before we went out to go do our holy home visits, you know, we sat there and what we did actually very simply was read the Bible. We didn't study. No one sat there and did prepared a two hour Bible study and we went through it. We read the Bible together, went through the gospel of Mark and we just read the Bible. And what we did was we responded to the scripture that we read with, what does this see? How do we see God actively at work in this text? And what difference does that make in my life right now as we're about to move forward? And the insights that came up were dramatic. I mean, it was just simply reading the Bible together. It wasn't, again, a deep study. You know, I met with John Bruce, as you saw in the video. I, John Bruce is like a mentor. He's someone who has walked with me through some really dark valleys in ministry. And during that time, one of the things he said to me is, we always sort of shoot the breeze about ministry and some of the things that he's doing. And he said, Sam, one of the things that I've been thinking about for our small groups, our community groups, is doing these things called discovery Bible studies. And what it, what it is is basically exactly what I just said. He, they just read the Bible and they do it with non-Christians. Actually, he said he even has non-Christians read it sometimes. And what they do is he believes that the power of God's word in and of itself is so dramatic that when you are confronted with it, that you cannot escape it's conviction because of the Holy Spirit's power. We must not divorce 
this idea of the Bible as the central means by which we gain transformation by the Spirit in these communities. Thirdly is something we all love to do, eat together. And they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And oftentimes we think of this as communion. But remember, yes, it is about communion, but it's also about the feast of communion. It's about eating. It's about the joy of eating. And in the Bay Area, we love eating. All different types of food. And that's one thing. You go to other places around the world, and while there's great food everywhere, one thing we have is all different types of great food in this place. Jesus is often called the friend of sinners because he always ate with sinners. I mean, if you look at the Gospel of Luke, Tim Chester describes it this way. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. We must eat together. We're going to eat together outside. And there is something to sticking a pizza in your mouth and saying, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> it's, it's the joy of what God has given to us as a symbol of our feasting for the sake of the gospel. And it's the informality of it all, the welcome of it, the fact that we're not in a rush all the time. The relationship and communal aspect of eating together, not about eating gourmet meals, it needs to be a regular part of our gospel communities. Next is we pray together, devoted themselves to the prayers. Communities, gospel communities, Christ-centered communities pray because prayer inherently is dependence and trust on God. Our nature and instinct is to work, to come up with a task list, to figure out here's all the things we need to do to make this work. Prayer gets rid of the taskless and says, God, control is out of our hands. We depend on you and you alone. I can't tell you how many times that I've been in relationships, whether it's in marriage, with our family, with leadership, with some of you. And we, we talk, we try to figure things out. We're in working out situations or even conflict. And then suddenly we say, Let's pray. And sometimes you don't want to pray. Because you know what? Prayer is humbling and prayer is surrendering. Prayer at a certain point says, God, I feel bad. I feel miserable. I feel tired. I don't like this person that I'm praying with. I, I have a problem with this person. And as you start praying, amazing things happen. God just melts hearts. The Holy Spirit. It's hard to go to God and say, God, this is... It's what I feel. And to be proud before the living God and then suddenly have that same attitude towards the person that you're having a hard time with. So prayer, it's, it's mutual dependence on the living God. And it's binding in a way that nothing else can be. Next, we share together. Verses 44 to 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings. And distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. There's a lot of sharing going on in this community. It's not just, you see this and you might think it's all physical. But it's more than physical. It's, they're living life together. The burdens together. The trials. The sinfulness. The weaknesses. Their testimonies are honest. Sometimes raw honesty. And because of that. Suddenly people are saying, how can we help you? 
How can we serve you? Sometimes it's because of physical needs. You need financial support. Sometimes it's you need a meal. You need someone who's going to be there and be by your side and maybe you broke a leg and so you need someone just simply who's going to drive you places. And it's the community of believers that gather together and say, let's, I want you to know we're in this together. You're not alone. That's what this world fails to see. You know, it also means that um, in a place where we have even sometimes people of different circumstances, maybe some of you have special needs children, and you wonder, can this church fit my child who is distinctively different? And as parents, we need to step up our game, you might say, by saying, you know what? Child, my son, my daughter, it is hard work to care for someone different. But remember, Jesus cared for you who is different. He loved you enough to surrender his throne and empty himself and make himself nothing so that you would be welcomed home. Then how should you, child and you, adult, care for that different person, whether it's due to all sorts of differences, even physical and mental ability? If we as a church are not able to say, you know what, let me put aside my comfort levels so that you who are different will feel welcome. And sometimes that means spending time and neglecting the able or someone who is ordinarily strong and you're just going to say, you know what, I'm going to devote myself to this person who needs more care and it, it takes more work. Thanks be to God, though, that Jesus didn't just turn away the leper or the prostitute who is already shunned by everyone else in society, such as the Samaritan woman at the well, or the impoverished. The person didn't smell so nice. This is our God. And so it's when we go to places like Africa and we see orphans and we have such a heart's compassion, shouldn't we have that same heart here in our own community? To be together is to share joys and burdens, to share when life is good and also the sorrows. It's not simply to give a, oh, I feel so bad for you, and then just go and eat our dinners. But it's to say, what can I do? How will my life make a difference to those around me? A lasting community does not hide in its comfort. The last Together is go together, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. There is an effect to a spirit-led, transformational, biblical community. And the effect is that, notice the effect is not people in this community love to vacation together. Or they love hanging out and playing board games together. Please do not mistake this. I'm not saying you shouldn't ever vacation together or play board games together. But if that's what your community is like, that is not biblical community and that is not lasting community. Anyone, and I've said this even to some of the college students of our church, if you think, well, if I go to a church where everyone is a college student or everyone is a high school, like all my buddies and friends are there or all my... All the young adults are here. 
or all the, you know, married couples without kids are here. All the married couples with little kids are here. And all the married couples with teenage kids are here. All the married couples with adult children. All the seniors are here. Eventually, you're always looking for that particular group of people that makes you feel good about yourself. Where it's comfortable. Where it seems as though everyone understands me. But you live that life. If that is your heart, you will never be satisfied. Because every stage has its new, I need to find the next place that I fit. I belong. That is not biblical transforming community. Look at the impact and the result of what happens when we really live this out. When you are deciding it's not about finding this cool group of people I love hanging out with all the time and going on vacation and playing video games with and playing, you know, having mom's groups together with. It is, I want to see Christ glorified. And that's what matters most. When we, um, when Christ Church first started in 2011 and then Grace Alameda, there was an undercurrent of one message at that time that we had to combat regularly. And it was this. If we take part in this type of church plant without them either having our name, Wellspring Church, and I know many of you know churches, and I'm not inherently saying this is wrong or anything like that, but it's just what I feel as though we decided as a church, is that if we decided to plant just campus churches, well, here's a new Wellspring Church where I'm on video over there somewhere, and you know what would happen? We could plant about five campus churches. I'd be projected. It would be, we would have all the resources of money. It would all pour into Osmond Church. And from there, we can create this really big building. Forget about 2274 Camino Ramon, where we're constantly wondering, here's this new $100,000 expense. How are we going to pay for that? We could pay for millions of dollars. And, and I could be famous, write books, have seminars. And you would say, I go to that church where that pastor is. And he's a celebrity. And I really... I mean, that's, we could have taken that road and it was very tempting. And people questioned, wait a second, if you're planting those churches, shouldn't they be called Wellspring Church? And shouldn't we be collecting their offering and make our church really big? But look at the net result and impact. We are, a, when, when that happened, we were about a hundred people. And we were at nobody's, really, and we still are. And who am I? No one knows who I am. Well, I'm a nobody, really. When I watched this video, you know what? It brought to me this sense of, God, only you could do this. Only you could do something like this. To take a very small church in San Ramon, California, and use it to bless different churches in the area. I did, again, I didn't ask for any of these guys to say anything of what they, other than, hey, just give words of blessing. Just generic. And they all, the common theme throughout was, wow, you guys, you here impact all these people all around the Bay Area and even around the world for the sake of the gospel. When we understand Jesus is everything and he's the reason why I am even here, here's why I come on Sundays to set up a sign or do communion or lead worship or do gospel train and those children that you are impacting or doing, you know, working with the youth or selling items on Craigslist, all of that in and of itself is nothing. But as a combined 
totality of it all, it says that, Jesus, you are to be exalted. And all we are are your hands and feet to bring the gospel to all the world for the sake of Christ, not Wellspring. So today we do not celebrate 20 years of Wellspring Church. We celebrate 20 years of Jesus Christ being exalted through this small body. When we understand this, we go together, we live together, and the gospel and Jesus is glorified. So the commission together, the rest of Acts then is the rest of this story. The going out to all the world. It, it is lasting community that God wants for us. Not easy community, but lasting community. Any type of community that you seek that does not call you to choose to live in the muck is not lasting community. You know, if community is easy, if it's everyone there is exactly like me and I don't have to do anything, then you will, that is not lasting community. That's called a click. That's no different than what the world has. You can find that in the workplace. You can find that at the 4-H club. You can find that in the Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts. You can find that in a political organization. But forever lasting eternal community, always ask the question, are you willing to choose to live in the mess, in the challenges of the brokenness of the lives of people. When you, when we invite you to community, it's not come and just have fun, but it's instead come and be changed, be transformed. But we know this, the way God uses other people to transform is always through the life's challenges. It's not, we do not ask you to choose to escape difficulty and trials and sorrows, but instead, True, lasting biblical community calls you to redeem, to save, to buy back, to transform, to impact, to disciple, to cause people to leave that community, to go and do likewise to somewhere else. This is our God. And so when you look at Israel, when they were conquered in Judah in 586 B.C., not everyone was an idolater. There were some who followed the Lord. There were some who were the remnant who still loved God. But you know what? When the Babylonians came and took them into exile, it's not like he said, okay, everyone who follows the Lord, you get to stay and we're going to prosper you. But everyone who didn't, come. No, what happened is that he took everybody. And so in captivity, enslaved, suffering the same thing that everybody else suffered. Why did God do that? Why wouldn't God just simply say, only the good people, they're going to be okay, but the bad people who didn't follow me, they're going to be punished. Because it was those people who still follow the Lord, he was going to use them. And that's what the rest of the Bible is. He uses those who follow him to redeem those who are broken. Do we not see that in our own Savior? God doesn't just simply say, okay, I'm going to rescue you. You might want to wonder, why does God bring his son to die on a cross? He Couldn't he have just said, you're saved? Well, there are many reasons why he chose to do that. One is his own justice and holiness. That had to be dealt with. But I also believe another reason is because there is something to Jesus coming and living, as we see so often in the book of Hebrews, he himself was tempted so that he might understand those of us who are being tempted and are suffering. That by being like us, even righteously, he is able to rescue. 
And he wants to use me and you in the same way. So let us not try to avoid a difficulty in community. To be in community is to understand and to be in transformational biblical community is to know that we're going to go through challenge together. I say this to you as someone who has been at Wellspring for 20 years. So my wife and I, really, we're the only ones in this room who have been consistently here from beginning to end. It hasn't been easy. But I wouldn't trade it for all the world. Because it has been in the not easy times as well as the good times. And maybe that's what it takes to have this back. If I was only here for five years and said, oh, it's so hard, I'm going to go to the next church. And then go to the next church and pastor. It would have been easy, but I would have never learned what biblical community is. Biblical community is, I have walked together with some of you for almost 20 years. And we've had our our wrestlings here and there. It hasn't always been bad. It's been awesome so many times, but sometimes it's been hard. But thanks be to God that that has shown me who Jesus is. And why he is so precious to this body and why he gets the glory. So may I just implore you. If you are new to this church. Choose to be a part. Act proactively say, how can I serve? What are the meetings and discipleship groups? And may I promise you that as a church leadership and a church body, we're going to work on gospel communities to exhibit these six characteristics in a regular way. For those of you who are gospel community leaders and discipleship group leaders, you received an invitation for a meeting in in June by uh, Chad. And it's to work through how does our church, our specifically our gospel communities, integrate these six qualities because they are essential to community. And we want to say we're going to work hard on this so that we do community in the way that we see it in the book of Acts. That's our promise to you as a church leadership. But my call to you is, have you given up meeting together? Have you been part of ministries or fellowships where on the day that you're supposed to meet, you say, ah, it's too tired, tiring. I, I don't feel like going. Being social is actually driving you away from understanding true community. And so I hope, I look forward to 20 more years, as long as the Lord should have us to be faithfully living life together. Let's prepare for the ultimate community that shows that, that reality through communion. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you for 20 years. For some, maybe it's been 20 weeks. Maybe it's been two weeks. But I pray that what stands out is Jesus. That our community is solely based on Christ and Christ alone. Forgive us, O Lord, for the ways in which we have tried perhaps to think about community, not in the ways that scripture deems it to be, but in the ways in which the world has subtly coaxed us into believing. Maybe it's because of Instagram and Facebook. Maybe it's just our own heart of self-centeredness. But we praise you, Lord Jesus, that you did not decide to go it alone. You 
you who are in perfect community, Father, Son, Spirit, you didn't just sit back, you came and you longed for us to join you. Not to simply be inward and um, to be inward focused, but to really recognize that true community is one that is transformational, both internally and externally. It goes out to all the world. So we praise you and we thank you. Might you be glorified as we eat this bread and drink this wine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.